Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast, The Dominique Foxworth Show, where every Tuesday and Thursday, Dominique brings you his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting. So check out The Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about the Kyrie Irving trade. We got your Super Bowl party stories, but first... The Super Bowl week is here. And the biggest loser is LeBron James. Um, And I feel bad legitimately for LeBron on this one. This is a really, really, really important record that he is breaking. A record that has stood for about 38 years. Like, this isn't small. This isn't something that gets hot potatoed every five minutes. This is a serious record. And the math all indicates that he's going to break it during the week of the Super Bowl, in all likelihood, like he could go bananas on Tuesday night against the Thunder, because I think he's 36 points short. So he could go for 40 there and break it there. Otherwise, he's going to break this in all likelihood, I believe it's late night on Thursday, right? Late night Thursday, and then Friday is the Friday before the Super Bowl. This isn't going to get the fanfare that it deserves, right? There's so many different ways that I could talk about why the LeBron scoring record is big, and I'll probably get to it like later in the week in discussing it. But there is a Gretzky-like quality to this, and I recognize that people are not necessarily the most into hockey, but the thing is, Wayne Gretzky's the leading goal scorer of all time and that was the other thing he was good at like that's what's wild about it like LeBron has an understandable resentment of this idea that people don't think of him as a scorer in that way and the reason is honestly because he's so good at the other thing there aren't too many people that we think about as being scorers and I'm putting the big men in this category so guys like Kareem guys like Wilt we don't think of them as being better at something else, right? We think of them primarily as guys who score. And that's the thing that makes it easy to ignore or over time for us to have been obscured from how good LeBron was at actually being a scorer, right? And it's not like he wasn't a dude that you could look at and be like, hey, buddy, we need 45 tonight. He can go get you 45. What he is is the dude that had the 2010 and 2011 postseasons. And that gets you to the he's not Kobe, everything else, dot, dot, dot. thing is Kobe looked like a scorer. He looked exactly like what we think of a scorer being. And part of that is a mentality. And LeBron's mentality has not necessarily been about avoiding scoring, but it's been about something bigger and something broader. And so to me, it's so wild that the dude that's so much like Magic Johnson in terms of team concept is also going to be the greatest scorer that there's ever been. And hopefully somebody at the end of the week will get around to all of this 
because it is, in fact, the week of the Super Bowl. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I would love to come off the top of this show and just talk about LeBron for 10 minutes, talk about Kyrie for 10 minutes, and then go to the rest. Except, dog, you know where I work. And where I work is America. You know what I'm saying? Let me let me let me send the podcast in to my bosses for this general show. Not no NBA show, this general show acting like the Super Bowl don't exist. Nah, nah, bro. That's not really that's not how this works. LeBron scored 105 points on Thursday night. And we'll get to that right after we talk about Super Bowl. Then you come back for the commercial break. LeBron scored 105 points. Anyway, back to the Super Bowl. We are going to continually make that move. It's an unfortunate break for you, but it's also a really, really interesting Super Bowl when you think about this. Like, you guys know where I am about Mahomes, but the last time we saw Mahomes in the Super Bowl, it was heat under his seat. Now, I don't even feel like it's fair to say it was heat under his seat. It was heat over his seat because the seat was on fire. Like, it wasn't as though there was some, like, general warmth emanating from the ground. No, the chair was on fire. I don't think the chair is necessarily going to be on fire this time, but I do recognize that he's playing against a team that had 70 sacks this year. 70 sacks. And there are no dominant receivers really to look for. I think this is a time where it really helps you, that your main man is your tight end, so you got that kind of security blanket kind of stuff that you can wind up leaning on. But in the end, hey, man, it could be a problem for that offense. And for the Chiefs' defense, what do you do when the other team just wants to run it through your face? Because that's really what the Eagles are about. That's part of why this Jalen Hurts thing can work, because you can center a power running game around him. And if you've been watching them, man, they had one of these games, they ran for like 250 yards or something like that, warmed my old school heart. Like, I'm sorry, I get it. Everybody likes the video game stuff. It's more fun to play Madden and throw the ball around. I understand we raised a whole generation that don't fully understand what substance is. It's an unfortunate break, but it's where we are. It's where we've landed, and it's the fault of people my age and older. Y'all the ones that turned them kids into what they are. I got it. But, man, just watching the team grind it out and run through your chest over and over again where them cats don't even want to raise their arms up anymore and get tired of them big dudes just leaning on them all day long. Like, that's what it can be for the Chiefs. And I figure if you're the Eagles, that's got to be the plan for day one. Like, from the first moment, it's like, hey, how do we stop that Mahomes guy from having the ball in his hand? And the answer is, the do run, run, run. The do run, run. They just going to grind and grind and grind. And then hope when you come back on the other end that you get heat on them. Now, I'm going to say this. If they don't get that heat on one-legged Mahomes, oh, boy, you could probably cancel Christmas. No shade to anybody else. That's just one of those things. I want to say something else that's interesting to me about the Eagles. The Eagles are one of those teams that we just generally acknowledge as being loaded and they are loaded. But I feel like if you went and started like asking people, this team that had 70 sacks, start asking them to name some of these sack getters. After Fletcher Cox, it gets a little bit difficult. I guess Brandon Graham been playing there forever, so you wind up going there. But this is a surprisingly no-name sort of outfit, considering how talented they are. Like Even on offense, you know the receivers, right? A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. But Miles Sanders, like Miles Sanders, I would have I told you he was a dude and you would have told me he was just a dude. Except he ain't just look like no dude this year. You know, this isn't a team that has all those names like that. 
They just really, really, really good. That coach that we all thought might have had some variety of disorder after uh, he had his introductory press conference. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that when he got up there? We were like, who in the world was this man that you hired? Apparently somebody that knows something about what he's doing. Isn't that something, right? But I still I still think the Chiefs are going to get this. Now, this is where I have like matured, shall we say, over the years. In 2020... I was like, Chiefs going to win. Chiefs going to win. Chiefs got Mahomes. They got Tom Brady over there. Tom Brady didn't play well that postseason. It wasn't especially like impressive in that particular game. I was voting on Jordan because I'm just not betting against Jordan. That was my outlook on that. But it was less of a, I'm not betting against Jordan than Jordan ain't going to lose. That's where I was. This year, I am on the I'm not betting against Jordan because I had that fateful moment where I looked at the television and saw the Chiefs offensive line for that day and saw Mike Rimmers and I saw the letters LT by his name and immediately knew, oh, this one's a wrap. This one is over. And it was over from that very moment. It was over. But I was also sitting here think about this in terms of the Super Bowls and I'm gonna try to go through this off the top of my head I recognize that the last time I went off the top of my head with the black quarterbacks I missed Donovan McNabb would you believe that I woke up this morning one week after doing that podcast and somebody was like I'm late but Bomani you missed Donovan McNabb do you know how many hundreds of people told me that like do you think I really needed all of you to tell me that do I even think I needed one of you to tell me that you got the point. Y'all just so happy. Ooh, I'm going to tell Bomani something he didn't know. Obviously, I knew it. I was just going off the top of my head. I'm dead ass. This morning, like 7 o'clock in the morning, somebody sent that to me. I know I'm late, but why'd you, why did you not stop right there? And why did you not just at me as opposed to putting it out there for your timeline? Because you wanted somebody to know you knew something? Herbs. Wall-to-wall herbs. Anyway. Super Bowl after the 2010 season had Aaron Rodgers. 2011 had a Brady and a Manning. 2012 was interesting because that was Flacco and Kaepernick. And that looked like the future in a lot of ways. All right. But then 2013, we had Peyton Manning again. He was in there against Russell Wilson. We had Peyton Manning again. 2014, we got Tom Brady. 2015, by the way, Russell Wilson, two in a row, hadn't been there since. 2015, we got Manning. 2017, I mean, 2016, Brady. 2017, Brady. 2018, Brady. 2019, ah, we got Mahomes and Garoppolo. 2020, Brady. You see what I'm saying here? Like, we are finally, fully moving into the future. Right. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger. But we are finally fully moving into the future of the NFL and the future of quarterbacks. Because when you really think about it, we basically been talking about the same three quarterbacks in some combination for the last 20 years. Brady, Manning, Rodgers. That's where we've been. Yo, Unless Aaron Rodgers like winds up on the Jets, don't none of them dudes matter no more. Right? Two of them are gone, obviously. And then the Rodgers thing, we kind of at the end of this. Like, 
it's now about what's next. It's now about these other dudes. It's now at the point where we're going to start looking at like the Josh Allens and being like, yo, so when are you going to get there? Right? We already been doing that with Lamar Jackson. Now we about to start looking at Justin Herbert like, hey, man, third offensive coordinator, you going to get it done or not? Right? Dak Prescott, we already got the heat up under his seat. Right? Trevor Lawrence, get ready, buddy. Expectations are on the way. Like, this Super Bowl, to me, is the beginning, truly, of the next era of NFL football. An era that is marked by the mobility and athleticism of quarterbacks, and I think is going to be an era that is also marked by a return to power running to go along with this. Because as these teams go to these smaller linebackers and they go into more of these too high looks and everything else to try to stop teams from going deep on them, then we means we're going to see a change and the adjustment is going to come in the other direction. Like, this is the beginning to me of what is next. Andy Reid, obviously been coaching for 100 zillion years, but like I said, that dude that we didn't even think could speak English is the head coach of the Eagles now. Like, this is what's next. This is the future. This is what we got to look forward to. And man, I, for one, am very much so looking forward to it. And I definitely think that we're going to get an exciting game out of this, right? So let's tune in for that. We will. And get ready for all the tweets that LeBron is going to send out during the game about the impressiveness of him breaking the scoring record. Y'all go look at him, damn it. Y'all go look. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Y'all go look at him, damn it. Y'all go look. You saw he did that after uh, the Kyrie trade. Sent that tweet. Maybe it's me. Bro, what are you doing? Like, is anybody really seeing LeBron James tweet to complain that they didn't get Kyrie Irving and being like, I know, baby. I, I know. I, it's okay. I know, no. They're just not thinking about you. No, no, no. You deserve what? what? All right. So, as you probably know by now, the Nets gave Kyrie Irving away. I mean, that's basically what they did. They gave Kyrie Irving away. 
And you guys know that I said earlier they should have just waved him and gone on about his business. And I thought that when he was fully dug in that he was never going to play another game in the NBA. Obviously, he has played games in the NBA since. The part that I didn't expect was that just how sane he would get when he realized that his money was in peril because he really, 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 really wants that max deal. See, that's the one thing about Kyrie that was so interesting. When everybody thought that he was out here standing on principle, he was like, no, I'm trying to get this money. He just thought that he could still do both of those things at one time. And once he realized he couldn't, he was like, whoa, 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 I got to go talk to some Jews. Learn the era of my ways, all right? Like, like, hey, he was definitely willing to learn the error of his ways for a couple hundred million dollars. But he sees himself as the player. And look, salary is a proxy for respect in most places. And he sees himself as a player that deserves the respect of a max contract. He sees himself as a top-notch player who is a champion, who hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history. And those dudes at his age get max contracts. The Nets were like, come on, dog, what are you playing? And they were not down to give him the max contract. He said he wanted to be traded. And then suddenly his calf turned up sore. And then the Nets gave him away. And I'm sorry, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first-round pick in 2027, a second-round pick in 2027, and a second-round pick in 2029. That's giving the dude away. Like, you got to think about the way that picks are discounted. You can call it a first-round pick and say they got a first-round pick, but in the NFL, for example, if you want to move up in the second round, right, get somebody's second-round pick for them, it's going to cost you a first-round pick from, from next year. You see what I mean? That's the discounting on how this works. We're discounting these picks out four in six years. They just gave it away. Spencer Dinwiddie, what? Dorian Finney-Smith, I mean, I think he's helpful to the Nets, and I actually think it hurts the Mavericks to give him away, I mean, to, to trade him away, because somebody's got to play some defense, right? Like, the Nets need somebody that can play some defense. And Ben Simmons... All I can conclude is that he just doesn't want to play basketball. I'm not judging him for that necessarily, but playing basketball, it just don't seem like that's the kind of thing he feel like doing right now. But anyway, we got that. Um, But I look back at what the Nets did and went through or whatever it is, and the reason why this trade to me doesn't make any sense for the Nets is, unless you're going to trade Kevin Durant this week, this is stupid. Like, I said they needed to wave him early and tear it down and just get a jump on it, right? Like, this whole thing is over. And I guess they thought that Kyrie was going to act right through the rest of the year, but apparently Kyrie's plan was, I'm going to lay low, and if y'all don't give me a max, I'm going to ask y'all to trade me. Now, what I don't know is why he thinks the team that's trading for him is going to wind up giving him a max. Like, the, the Mavericks didn't really give anything. This is a rental. They made the kind of trade that you make for a rental, not for a guy that you think you're going to keep for an additional four or five years. They just got a rental when they made this trade for him. But for the Nets, you got worse. Well, you say what you want about Kyrie, but Kyrie been balling. And they made a trade that made them worse, and they probably weren't good enough to win the East. So what are you doing? The, the reports came out that Kyrie was threatening to sit out the rest of the season. Bobby Marks at ESPN put it out there. He wasn't going to do that. And the reason he wasn't going to do that is that if he sat out for something over 30 days, then he wouldn't be able to go into free agency. He was going to play. And you know how you know he was going to play? Because he brought his ass out here and played already. Yo, he's trying to get this money. 
I don't know if he realizes it, but I imagine that everybody else around him does realize the following. The only path to him getting his money is good behavior. That's it. You're not going to ball your way into this. Good behavior was the only way that he was going to make it happen. And I recognize that people think it's patronizing for me to say this grown man needs to behave, but I don't know what other way I'm supposed to refer to this. Good behavior was the only way that he was going to make this work. And then he went and did this. Like, with a team that when Kevin Durant comes back, if I was on the team, I would think we had a chance. Right? If I was on the team, I would think that. So I look at the Nets, and I'm like, Y'all made him come back before. Make him come back now. If you wasn't going to bail on him before, why are you bailing on him now? When you decided to bring him back, what did you say? Just as long as he doesn't make no more mistakes. One more mistake and he's out of here. It was going to be another mistake. So maybe the argument is, well, we couldn't get anything for for him in trade before. All you did in this was get out of having to pay him. That's it. And I don't mean to be counting Josiah's money, but I don't feel like the kind of money we're talking about here matters to him. I don't. And so now he goes to Dallas. And what I don't really get and understand about this for Dallas is, who are y'all going to guard? Like, does this make you actually better? You're starting to read things and hear things about how the Mavericks are getting a little nervous about whether or not they'll be able to keep Luka, right? Like whether Luka's going to get frustrated by the fact that he doesn't have anybody around him. I don't think Kyrie is the put somebody around Luka guy. There's a couple of reasons for it. One of them is that Luka's not great off the ball. Kyrie is at his best on the ball. Now, that being said, Kyrie, as he demonstrated playing with James Harden for those six or seven games or however long they played together, he will move off the ball. Right, He did the same with LeBron. He's at his best with somebody with an eye for passing and allows him to work off the ball. Because really, he is not a point guard. He's like my buddy Shannon would say about Russell Westbrook. He's a point guard, not a pass guard. Right? He's just the size of a point guard. He is a combo guard. That is what we used to call him back in the day. He is a combo guard. All right? So you move him off the ball, it's cool. But Luka is not a point guard either. He is a or he is a point guard, not a pass guard, right? Not that he won't pass you the ball, not that he can't see you, but he is a score-first player. Kyrie is a score-first player. When we have seen the best of Kyrie or Kyrie operating at a true championship level, we've seen it twice. One time was actually that first year in Boston when he got hurt. That's the best basketball he's ever played in his career. But the other time, obviously, was in 2016 with the Cavs with LeBron doing all the point guard things. The Mavs don't really have anybody to do point guard things. The other thing about it for the Mavs is, yes, Luka needs some guys who can do things. But part of the reason why Luka takes so many shots isn't simply because those other guys can't do things. It's because he's really good at doing things, and so he just goes and does them. Like, that's what he's... Nah, it's cool. I, I got it. I'll take care of this myself, right? There's going to be some measure of adjustment that comes in there. But what the Mavericks seem to think is Nico Harrison, who is a Nike executive who's got a relationship with Kyrie, Jason Kidd, who believes he can make it work with all the superstars, and Mark Cuban, who I think has a similar ego about himself in making things work, they believe that they can do it with Kyrie. 
I think they're crazy for believing that. I just, I just, who could, right? It couldn't work with LeBron. It didn't work with Kevin Durant. Um, it didn't work with Brad Stevens. It didn't work with that team full of guys that he seems to like. Even with the Nets, the guys on the team like him. That's the thing about it. It's not like them dudes don't like him. It's not like those dudes don't look up to him. It just wasn't going to work. And if the game for him is, I'm going to get the max, nobody's going to give that to him. That's it. I just can't. Who's going to do it? Who do you look up and say, yeah, yeah, they're going to give him all that money? You really think the Lakers are going to sink all that money into him? Because if they were, they would have gave up the, the, the 27 to 29 first round picks if they were going, if they were going to do that. He's just not reliable enough for you to do that. He's not reliable enough for anybody to make the decision to bring him on. And he still believes that there's a max contract out there waiting on him. And I just, it's just not there. I don't see what the leverage is that he has. His best play would have been to play this all the way out and try to trick somebody into thinking that he could make it work. But I think that every team recognizes his behavior was at his best when he was in a contract year. And he started off acting bad in that contract year. He's going to be on a contract year for the rest of his career in all likelihood. So, yeah, I was wrong when I said he would never play another game. But he's in that zone now in his career where he might not play one next year if he doesn't handle it right in Dallas. If he acts up or something happens and he can't handle it and he bails on them for whatever reason, who's signing up for it at the money that Kyrie is willing to play for? He tried to find a trade last offseason, couldn't get it, had to come back. My understanding is the Lakers just really weren't really that interested in bringing him in this go-round, right? He wound up going to a team that's been so desperate in Dallas to land a big fish, and they got what is the closest thing they have to a big fish. But then what? Because something else that's interesting about Kyrie in this, and he can ask LeBron about this. Kyrie has never played in the West before. Like this, this is a different like day in, day not, day out caliber situation that you're dealing with over here playing in the West. Now the West is wide open. Like I see why Dallas would make that move because the West is wide open. That's why I think it's got to be um open for Kevin Durant business because the leverage that the the Nets have right now for Kevin Durant is better than it would ever be because the West is so wide open. And if Durant were willing to entertain the Golden State thing, I would not. But if he were willing to entertain the Golden State thing, at some point, Golden State's going to have to give up on some of those young guys that they want to keep winning with Steph. And I feel like the Nets could really come up there. Nobody has more, more assets to offer for a player like Kevin Durant than Golden State because they got Moody, because they got Wiseman, because they got Kaminga. Nobody else has got more, right? Now, you would be scrapping a future that you hope to build for, but you give yourself maybe another year or two chance to win championships right now in the wide open East. But Kyrie coming over there to the, over there to me, wide open West rather. Kyrie coming over there to the West. It's not like Dallas to me soars to the top of the pack. They're like, oh, they got a chance to make the second round. Yeah, that's what I think that they could do. Luka might get tired of you. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But that tells me that Dallas is desperate. Kyrie going there tells me that in some measure that he is desperate. 
And I just want to know, in all of this that's happened, Kyrie showing up to the Nets, Durant showing up to the Nets, Harden showing up to the Nets, now Kyrie being traded, Harden getting traded, all of this. Who has won? Who has come up as a winner? The image and prestige of the Nets has not gone up. They've won one playoff series. Kevin Durant, it sounds like it's been a whole bunch of stress. Kyrie, whatever reputation he had coming in, out the door. Gone. Ben Simmons, LOL. Steve Nash, yep, he learned one thing he doesn't really feel like doing no more. The way I see it, only person that I don't want is Jacques Vaughn. He has redeemed himself as an NBA coach. But otherwise, who's won from this? This is quite possibly the single greatest failure in the history of the NBA. And the Mavericks looked up and were like, hey, let me get some of that failure. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, well, this first story is from Business and Tech. Hi, I'm Shreya Bhattacharya, and I'm a reporter at Business Insider covering the creator economy. A few days ago, our team published an article about the different media kits that creators across the U.S. use to get paid brand partnerships. Brand deals are essentially when a company or brand, whether that's in the beauty industry or fashion industry or the tech industry, tries to partner with a creator that they think would add value to their platform. And the way that they would do so is by promoting a particular product or service or an event that the brand is responsible for and attempting to influence that audience in order to take advantage of that product or that um, or that service. And so this is one of the main ways that creators make money because brands are willing to pay a particular influencer to post on their platform, whether that's TikTok or Instagram, uh, to make a video or an Instagram reel or simply post a photo that promotes that brand. And so once they do that, the brand will pay them. One of the main ways that influencers reach out to a brand that they're interested in partnering with is through a media kit, which is essentially just a creator resume. The creator has, you know, either it's a one page document or it can be, you know, up to several pages of showcasing the value add that they would bring to a potential partnership with that brand. So this document encompasses a short bio of themselves, how they got into content creation, their engagement analytics, their contact information, previous collaborations, any useful information like that to persuade a brand that they're reaching out to, to partner with them. And so this article essentially goes through 10 different media kit examples that we were able to obtain from different TikTokers about how they used this document to pitch and then land a brand deal. And there's TikTokers with all kinds of followings just so that our audience can see you know, what it takes to really pitch a brand with their influence. So, you know, anyone from Jorge Alvarez, who has 133 followers on TikTok, to Joel Burvel, who has almost 700,000. So it exemplifies the exact media kit, the exact analytics that they use to display on their media kit in order to pitch a brand. And so that way readers can really see how 
exactly they landed the brand deals that they got, whether that was with Nike or with Athleta or with Google or with Facebook. Yo, I can't lie. If I work for any of these brands, I am so mad at TikTok for putting this out or anybody for doing this. And you know why I'm so mad at this? Because the world is not self-aware. Okay. They about to get flooded with so many decks from so many people that nobody wants to hear from. Because this is the thing about classifying yourself as an influencer. What's the what's the qualification here? Like you, you heard her say, like this one guy's got 133 followers. What are you influencing? Right? Like influencer is the ultimate. I can just say that's what I am. I'm influencing somebody out here, right? Like I read this book once. In fact, I got a copy of it over here on my desk. It's called Tribes by a guy. I think his name is Seth Godin. And it was just basically about this idea of anybody can be the leader of a tribe. Like you start doing something, you look at the people who surround it and that becomes your tribe. The tribes are various sizes or whatever, but the whole thing is anybody can have their own tribe. And I'm like, and this is what's wrong. Because maybe anybody can have a tribe, but not everybody should. Okay, so yeah, they added TikTok out here. Here's how you pitch the brands. I don't know who work at any of these brands in the let me see your deck department, but all these people walking up to them with their demo tapes. Man, 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 man. And it's so much easier for to make a demo tape like this than it is to make a demo tape in music. And you know the bullshit be on demo tapes in music. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot easier for you to do. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Whatever happened to working for money? Because that's really what the game is when you look at all of this. Everybody's just trying to find a way to make money without working, right? And that's what the internet kind of provided. It's just uh, the Pimp C Live, pimping they did, it just moved to the website. The thing is, what people are pimping is themselves. They're trying to figure out how to put themselves on that stroll and go get that money, but we just ain't worried about providing nothing. I think that's the thing about it in the end. We got to provide, like, you want to get some bread in this. In theory, you should be providing something. And shout out to all of you who see a random person on the internet that you only know is a person on the internet, and you trust them to tell you to buy stuff. How does that work? All right, this next story comes from Censorship and Media. I'm Maya King, and I'm a reporter for the New York Times. When a transgender and non-binary couple posted two photos of their bare chests on Instagram, Their back and forth with the website forced Meta, the parent company for Instagram and Facebook, to make some changes to their content guidelines. On January 17th, Meta's oversight board recommended that both social media sites streamline their guidelines on nudity and adult content. This came after Instagram took down two posts from a couple that showed their bare chests with their nipples covered. The post was meant to fundraise for one member of the couple to have gender-affirming top surgery that would flatten their chest. The photos were later restored after the couple appealed the decision to remove them. But Meta's oversight board is still calling for revisions to keep this kind of thing from happening, saying in their own summary that, quote, the restrictions and exceptions to the rules on female nipples are extensive and confusing particularly as they relate to transgender and non-binary people. The company has 60 days to consider this proposal and make their own changes accordingly. A spokesperson for Meta told the New York Times in January that the company would respond by the end of March. Hey man, shout out to whoever at Meta got to figure this out because I don't know what exactly you're supposed to do here. Look, 
one thing that I talk about um, when it comes to dealing with the reality of transgender people. And when I say the reality of it, I mean just as this is something we acknowledge in front of the world, right? Like we don't talk about it in slang terms or anything else. We don't just come up with jokes or whatever. Like there's an acknowledgement that there are transgender people among us and here are the things that we do, right? Well, once we did that, here's the thing, especially when you start getting into like the the, the non-binary gender stuff or whatever, our language is not equipped to serve this, right? Like the way that we use language and the way the English language works in particular, we don't have like non-gendered pronouns singular except for it, but for understandable reasons, ain't nobody trying to be called no it, right? So then it becomes they, which understandably is a little confusing for a lot of people when they talk about this. The language is just not built for this. I don't know how exactly it winds up evolving, but it's just not built for it. Similarly, when it comes to nudity standards about people's tops, we are also not built for this, right? Because we just have a basic rule. Women's nipples, cover them up. Comma, however, we got a whole new world, guys. Whole lot of other things that we have to consider. How do the decency standards account for this, especially when a lot of this is on the basis of um, what one might term self-reporting? Right? You say you are not a woman. Okay, that means your nipple should be fair game. I was a little surprised these people did the nipple cover-up thing, to be perfectly honest, because I carried the logic out to that place where we are. But there's go- this is probably going to take decades, Right? For all of our standards and everything in established life to catch on to this change isn't something that happens overnight. It's not something you can just like pull a switch on. And so for Meta, you know, they like they hire like PhDs in ethics and all kinds of stuff like that to try to figure out how to handle a lot of these problems. Like there are f- philosophical undergirdings of a lot of these things. And I would love to see the emails they got back and forth about. So what exactly are we supposed to do here? Like how exactly are we supposed to handle this? How does this play with all these different people? And there really are no easy answers other than what's so bad about nipples? I mean, I got to be honest. That would solve all the problems right there. Like if you just change it to "Eh, nipples, not so bad. If you let all the nipples go, we ain't really got no problems. If you got a problem with nipples, I guess it was just how you was raised. However, we have really put a lot of weight on the female nipple. It gives life. Like, when you think about it, sustenance. What's profane about sustenance? All right, and this last story is censorship again, but in the education world. This is Claire Woodcock, and I'm an independent journalist who frequently writes about information access for Vice's motherboard. Last week, I reported that teachers in some Florida school districts have started clearing out their classrooms of books that could be considered harmful to minors. This comes after a new policy approved by the Florida Department of Education moved to treat classrooms more like school libraries. And the policy essentially says that school district employees who don't have a valid educational media specialist certificate that only school librarians have been directed to take, not teachers formally yet, could be held liable for knowingly or unknowingly providing access to a book that is deemed harmful to a minor. School district employees found in violation of the policy could be charged with a third-degree felony. 
which is why teachers are clearing their classrooms of their books for now so they can vet them for obscenity. Meanwhile, teachers are claiming that parental rights extremist groups like Moms for Liberty are trying to expand the definition of harmful to minors to include any book with LGBTQ plus characters and themes. Hey, man. When I was in high school... Uh, we read a book called Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And the title, 451, that was the temperature at which the pages of a book would burn. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. That I didn't read a lot of books uh, in school. In fact, I skipped basically all of them because nobody told me like why we were reading them. I thought it was just basically you just wanted to make me do something to see if I could remember it. And then I hit you back with what I remembered, but they didn't do a good enough job explaining the purpose. So I just didn't read them. Um, I remember I did read Fahrenheit 451 in high school. And I was kind of like, huh, that would be a strange thing to do. Dog, they doing it. Like, I don't. I don't know if people recognize how utterly terrifying it is what's going on with like the stuff about the books. Like, I just, I just, I I don't, this is something that we should probably be in the streets about. Like this is slippery slope stuff, everything else, but it also speaks to our just kind of general, like we don't, we don't care about nothing that matters. I suppose. Like, I don't want to sound like that old crotchety guy that says that sort of thing, but this is a huge, colossal, giant, 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 giant big deal. So, like, I think about on the right, this big issue about trans, participa- tra- trans participation in sports. And, like, the state of Kentucky went through all this stuff to put in a law, you know, with all this, all the things about. It was literally one, one trans girl in the whole state that was trying to participate in sports. And she wasn't even good, right? But that issue people jump on right like that's one that really hooked people if you watch the pool boy documentary about jerry falwell jr they talk about jerry falwell senior and they say the reason that like that for years the right kept throwing issues against the wall to try to find something that stick and really galvanize people and they found that abortion was the thing and that's how that wound up being the issue that they wrote out for so long because that was the one that really brought people around this for whatever reason on the left is not a thing that really gets people charged up Right. But it should like you got to really, really worry. It's one thing when schools are like deciding what is and is not appropriate to be taught. It's another when schools decide what is or is not appropriate to be read. That's a whole different ballgame. If you don't want to walk kids up to something. That's one thing, and it gets discussed all by itself, right? If for no other reason, then you got to find out amount of time to teach. You can't teach it all, all right? But when you're saying they can't even go read it by themselves, right? Where the school library, which for a lot of kids, is probably providing access to reading that they wouldn't have otherwise because books aren't free. What are you doing? And why aren't we ready to burn something down while they try to burn down books? Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. 
Our voicemail topic for this week is the wildest story at a Super Bowl party. Yeah, I figured somebody's seen some wild things. Somebody tried to steal your answer machine or something like that. Like, I just, I, I know these things have happened, and I know this because Foxworth told us his wildest story from a Super Bowl party. And boy, I wish I could tell it here. All right. Uh, first one we got is from the Colt Saints Super Bowl. What's up, bro? Uh, craziest thing at a Super Bowl party. I think this is, uh, I believe, uh, Colt Saints. My best friend had a party at his house. I had a young lady, he was saying at that time, it was early on, maybe, maybe a month in, he's got, you know, nice, nice looking young lady. And I'm pretty sure at one point, you know, she wanted to take my man to the room. I'm not sure if the game was over or not, but she wanted to take my man to the room. And he was either screaming one or two things. I don't want to, or I don't want you. Either way, he was so inebriated, he don't remember. He never saw this young lady again, so. Obviously, hurt a feeling, and that's probably the craziest thing I've ever seen at Super Bowl party. Let us show now. Yeah, I don't know which one he said, but it doesn't. I'd like to know more, guys. I'd like to know more. There's a lot of details getting lost here. A lot. Yeah, uh, this next one might hit a little bit close to home. So, you asked what the craziest story was from a Super Bowl party. And I'm going to let you know. Dude, the craziest thing that I've ever seen at a Super Bowl party was back in Super Bowl 51, about halftime. And my dumb ass thought the Atlanta Falcons were going to win the Super Bowl. God. So that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen, was me thinking the Atlanta Falcons were going to win the Super Bowl. Sorry, I had to get that out. That's been, been hurting me for some time. I did, I did, I did get a little bit too drunk and a little bit too sad. I'll never forgive myself for that stupid, stupid decision. <laughs> Man, listen. I told you I saw that dude the board of the Super Bowl. He tried to talk slick to me, and I told him. I said, the Falcons going to break your heart like they always do. And to this day, six years later, where are you? You know how to reach out to me. Somebody done told you that I said this. Where you at? Give me the satisfaction I deserve, fool. All right, and this last one is from the Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl. The year was 2018, and the Eagles were playing the Patriots. I had convinced my mom to have a Super Bowl party, even though there was, like, some family drama going on. So the day came, and I was minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I hear someone yelling obscenities from the living room. You see, what happened is that the woman who my dad had cheated on my mom with, who happens to be my brother's mother-in-law, showed up at the house for the Super Bowl party. At the invitation of my uncle, who was not at the party, but instead on the other side of town, doing God knows what. And my mother is a very lovely, but by Steven, a swollen woman. So let's just say that both of them and me got to beat down that night. Your uncle is the messiest man I've ever heard of. He wasn't even there? Yeah, I wanted that story to go on forever. He wasn't even there? Who did he want to die? Like, like he, he, he walked somebody who, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Wow. Uh, also, thanks to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Shreya Batakaria. I was listening when she said it. I had to slow down and do it again. I'm going to say it again. Sharia Batakaria of Business Insider. Check out her story on influencer media kits all around the social media game. Thanks to Maya King of the New York Times. Check out her story about Meta overhauling its nudity standards. And thanks to, Qua- thanks to Claire Woodcock of Vice. Check out her story on Florida teachers taking down libraries in order to avoid going to jail. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.